You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese on the podcast that brings you the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, and media. And Joe, our guest today is the perfect guest for us because big name in sports, big name in media. Uh, he's having a successful career off the field as well. This guy is just tremendous. Played 13 seasons for the New York Giants, Super Bowl champion. He's a broadcaster. He's also currently a senior director for Cushman and Wakefield. Yes, he's one of the most well-known New York athletes of all time. And now I think he's one of the most well-known New York sports media personalities of all time. So <laughs> this is a real, real big treat for us. And we're really happy to have him on, Howard Cross. Howard, thank you for doing this with us. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks, guys. So, Howard, we're, we're, we're approaching some training camps here, and then fall gets crazier for you. How do you, you know, I don't know, call it downtime because you are busy, you are working, but how do you how do you spend the offseason now? Well, you know, like you said, I do work. I do, do the real estate thing a lot, so we do that most of the time. I get a lot of chances to play golf, though, with uh, clients and friends and stuff. So if I have downtime and some time for myself, I'll, I'll – grab some clubs and go out and play there you go so i mean you've been in new york now for for a few decades you, you used to those new york winters yet that could be absolutely brutal <laughs> no i'm not used to it yet you know i'm hoping to move back down south one day but we'll see there you go so of course you're from alabama growing up did you play any other sports and at what age did you realize that you had a shot to make a career out of playing football Never really thought about uh, the whole career thing. I, I played everything growing up. I you know played baseball for a long time, and I played basketball. Um, at the like my sophomore through senior year, I, I ran track. So you know I did, did did a lot of sports and stuff. Enjoyed it. Didn't really think about being like a college recruit until you know colleges start calling you. Back then they called you on your on your house phone. Uh, so I was being recruited for football, basketball. And for track. So I was, you know, I was having a little fun. Yeah. So what is the recruitment process uh, like today? Is it different than it was back then? Well, my son is in Notre Dame. So he was recruited, I guess, what, two years ago, three years ago. It's a big difference because now with social media, they can, they can text you. They can, you know, they can hit you on Twitter. They can hit you on Instagram. So they have a lot more access to you uh, where before it would be, they would call your house. And your, you know, your mom or your dad would pick up the phone and say, oh, so-and-so's on the phone for you. And you'd go talk to them where your parents are there. Now they can talk to your, your kids wherever, whenever. Makes sense. And ultimately, how did you end up committing uh, to Alabama? Um, you know, I went through the process of, like, went to a bunch of schools and visited and everything. And, and what, what it came down to is, like, I was looking at the depth charts of all these different teams. You know, I, I, I could play any position. So I was like okay, what, what do I do? Where am I going to go? And every team had like 15 guys at every position, except for Alabama, they had one tight end. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try this school. Yeah, it worked out for you, <laughs> that's for sure. You were at Alabama, you know, at a time where, uh, you know, kind of ahead of the curve now, way before the Saban days where you were yeah. the most dominant program. So, uh, and you stayed in state. So I'm sure that was, that was big for you. Were you also recruited by a lot of schools out of state? Oh, yeah. I got recruited by almost every school in the country. So, you know, like I said, I, I had a 
really a lot of fun in high school playing ball. Oh yeah, I can imagine that. So later, you know, you're you're excelling there in your career, of course. Uh, known as in the pros as is more of a, a blocking tight end, but had a very successful career receiving the ball as well, and you impressed mm-hmm. a lot in college. What do you remember about? Because you know, obviously at this point, in 1989, the draft is totally different now. But what do you remember about being drafted by the Giants? Uh, in 1989 and how did you ultimately find out that you were, you were selected well I was like I had gone like there was a bunch of guys back then who went to Vegas to hang out for the draft so I was with a bunch of guys probably like 25 or 30 of us and they were like all first round picks to getting picked right away like Derek Thomas Broderick Thomas uh a bunch of guys there so we had fun you know watching them and everything and the next morning I got a call from uh, Coach Parcell saying, hey, I drafted you today. Are you ready to be a New York Giant? And I was like, oh, cool. Sounds like fun. Uh, (laughs) I'll see you you here in three days. I'm like, what? So, you know, that whole process of being 20, 21 years old, trying to figure out how to get to the airport on your own and and fly fly to New York uh, to to play in a game and and not realizing that the stadium wasn't in New York but in New Jersey. It it was a little bit bit of a stretch coming from Alabama. Oh, yeah. What was your first, you know, few weeks like being in New York and New Jersey, and how did you adjust to that? And also, what was it like meeting Parcells for the first time? Obviously, just a few short while ago, they just won the Super Bowl, so you know that you're going with one of the best coaches in the league at the time. You know, like I said, I didn't follow it as close as I probably, you know, if I look back at it now, like my son follows it more than I do, but I just didn't follow it like that. I, I just thought about. Uh, someone was saying like, you know, you're going to be going to get drafted. I'm like, really? He's like, like, yeah, they like, okay. So I wasn't really focused on the whole draft part of it. I was just hanging out with my buddies, having a good time, uh, get drafted, uh, meet coach Parcells and automatically understand like who he is because of, you know, Lawrence Taylor's walking around, Carl Banks is walking around, Harry Carson in and out of the locker room all the time, talking to the guys. And I'm like, Okay, so I know who all these guys are, and this coach is. This is going to be pretty cool. Uh, my first few weeks was funny because, like, I think, like, like week three, someone stole my truck, and I was like laughing. I'm like, okay. I said, so now I'm a now I'm a real New Yorker. Someone stole my car. So, <laughs> and, and I went on from there. You know, it was like, let's go practice, figure it out, and it was pretty cool. It worked out. You know, it was a lot of fun. We, we enjoyed our time. Uh, a lot of great friends, a lot of great memories and opportunities from that from that time. Yeah, I'd say it worked out. Uh, so if you win a championship in New York, it, uh, it's very, very different than anywhere else. So uh, mm-hmm. not long after you were drafted, the Giants uh, won their second Super Bowl championship under Bill Parcells. So uh, explain what it was like being around those people, uh, the dedication during the regular season. And ultimately, when did you guys realize that there was something special in that locker room? Well, the year before, you know, we lost lost in the playoffs to to the Rams. Flipper Anderson, you know, catches the ball, runs out. But that year, we probably were even a stronger team. I thought we had a chance to win the Super Bowl. Uh, that was my rookie year. Then the following year, we come back and we, you know, we, we rattle off ten games before anybody, you know, knocks us off the knocks us off a path. I think it was the Eagles that we lost to in the in the eleventh game, and I think San Francisco lost to maybe the Rams or something. So instead of being 11 and 0, both we were we were both 10 and 1, I believe, and you know that was kind of fun just to be there with them playing in that in that game, and it was so close. So it was it's different because you know growing up I never won a championship, but won I think I won in high school basketball or, or 
junior high basketball or something. But outside of that, we never, ever won the championship. We we're always so close. So it was really cool to be in a situation with a team that was so good that, that we we're going to get a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So you win the Super Bowl, and then you get to have a crazy parade, which I'm sure is nothing like you could ever have imagined. What was that process like for you, or just what do you remember from that day? See, now that's the difference. Like, uh, that was the start of the uh, the Persian Gulf War, so they were threatening to blow everything up. So I ah. think that the parade was around the parking lot. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so much different than uh, the later parades, yeah. for sure. Yep. What was it like there at that Super Bowl? It was obviously very tense because of that. You had the, the snipers on the roof. Was it easy for you guys to just focus in on the game or were you kind of aware with everything that was going around there? Oh, you couldn't, like, you couldn't, like, not be aware of it. I, I, that was before, you know, the world was as crazy as it is now. So you, you never really saw soldiers walking around with guns and stuff. And to have soldiers in our in our lobby carrying M16s, they were like, you know, fully, fully brigade, brigade, brigade walking around, you know, making sure everything was okay. It was just different. Um, you'd go out to dinner, you'd come back, and, hey guys, I appreciate you being here kind of thing. And it's like, wow, like nobody was allowed to be in our, in our facility or in the hotel. So it was, it was definitely different. Yeah, certainly great, crazy times. And now the world is kind of used to that, that type of stuff. Unfortunately, yeah. But... Unfortunately, it's an everyday thing. Yeah. So for you, you are actually the you played the third most games all time for the Giants, two hundred and seven behind Strahan Eli. How much pride did you take in being ready every single week, basically going out there, putting the uniform on, being able to play for the the thirteen seasons you did? I, you know, it's just different. I, I think that that's another thing that's different about the game today is that they do all these do all these things now to protect players to make sure they're safe. And we just, we practiced full time. Yeah. We practiced uh, with pads on a lot. Uh, we understood how to practice hard and not hurt each other. Uh, it, just, it was just different. So being a part of that and seeing that it was just, it, it was just, you know, being around having one-on-ones with Lawrence and, and, and Carl every day uh, going to the Super Bowl and, and like, we're still in the same, in the same vein, the same path, doing the same thing. And, you know, understanding early on that, that, you know, we had so many scouting reports and so many details about every player that you played against. It was just interesting to see the big difference. It was like that in college, but not to the level it was in the pros. So you mentioned LT Lawrence Taylor. Uh, You are maybe the only person or one of the very few that got to be teammates with both Strahan and Lawrence Taylor and go up against both of them in practice. So just being with them on the field in practice and seeing how great both of them were, how did what they were able to do really help elevate the rest of the team and showing like this is what has to be done on the field? Well, when you play with guys like LT and Banks, you, you see on a daily basis how, you know, how hard they work. You know, we get, you get a lot of jokes and stuff about what LT was like, but he, he was like a, a football savant. He really understood the game. He understood what was happening. And Carl – was like a, a very underrated uh, player who was like, I think basically a Hall of Famer that, that mm-hmm. played hard every day. So you get to watch them every day. I played with two guys in college that were equally as great with Derek Thomas and and, and Phineas Bennett. So being around those guys every day helped me be a better player because you're playing against two of the best seemingly day in and day out in practice. Yeah, I was straight in comparison. 
Strahan was Strahan was a really good player. You know, he he came along when when LT and those guys were, were about to step away, so he got to see a little bit of them. And then, you know, as he as his career grew, he became the focus of the of the pass rush. He had more and more confidence and playing against guys uh, every week and every year that, that were were good. You got to know them. It wasn't like it is today where guys got traded out, traded out, traded out, or went to another team. We were basically together for almost the entire time. So Stray got to play against me in practice every day uh, because we were running a 4-3 when he was playing. So I got to block him every day. Then he'd go out and play against guys uh, from the Eagles and the Cowboys. And, and you got to know and understand. You, you really got to know the guys because you played against them so many times. Yeah. But, and, that, I mean, you just played you're just a, a, your time there with the Giants, like a bunch of legendary people. Uh, obviously, you might have not interacted with them as much, but – they were the um, they were the coaches there for you when they won the Super Bowl. Did did you guys in the locker room have a feeling like okay, Belichick and Coughlin they might go on to be really good coach head coaches? Well, they were the most two of the most intense guys, you know, all the time because most of the guys were like it was like Bill Parcells, big big personality. Uh, so all the coaches were kind of like okay, what Bill says, what Bill says, what Bill says, and then you'd have like. Uh, Belichick, who was the guy who was designing defenses and talking to guys all the time and challenging them. And he was like, even though he's this little guy, he was very funny, he was very intense, and he wanted to get it done. Whereas Coach Coughlin, totally different animal, where he's like locked in 10,000% of the time. And of course, he's coaching the receivers, the goofiest group of guys <laughs> on the team. So he was constantly running them down, trying to get them in, into meetings on time and always hassling them. And they were always giving him a hard time. But he he truly was loved by the guys, and they, they still uh, keep up with him to this day. How tough of, it, of a decision was it for you to retire? Now, granted, you played 13 seasons, and you accomplished a lot, and you have one of the more decorated careers in the history of the organization. Uh, was it difficult to step away, or at that point did you know your body was, was ready for the next chapter after well, football? I had had uh, what they call microfracture surgery is something that they give they drill a hole in your knee and try to get it to bleed and, and you form a callus or something so that, that you're, you know, the, to prevent the quote unquote bone on bone kind of situation. And I was like, okay, so we're, we're we've played in the Super Bowl uh, against the Ravens. Um, they've blown up a bunch of shit. Everything's going, going, going crazy out there. Like nine 11 happened. And I'm like, is this really what I want to be doing? I just had kids. My, 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 my babies were born. My twins were born at that time. So I started trying to figure out, like, is this something I want to do? Do I want to continue to do it? They're like, well, if you play five more years, you're going to make more money than you ever made when you played, you know, in the past because the way the rules have changed. And I was more thinking about, you know, I want to be around my kids. I want to make sure that they, that they get to know me because this world's crazy. And I kind of decided, like, that was it, and I'm, I'm good. I didn't want to have another surgery, so I was out. Yeah, but right after that, you basically jumped right into the broadcasting career. So how did the opportunity come about? I mean, good timing there. Yes, basically just launches there. Just the Yankee channel. They want to get some other programming on there. You got contacted mm -hmm. for that. So how did that come to be? And then ultimately, a few years later, how did you end up getting the role as the silent reporter for the Giants radio broadcast? And how challenging was that to kind of learn how to do that role? Because it's really not easy being down on the sideline, trying to get that information and, and for doing a lot of prep work for a lot of stuff that might not even get used in the game. 
Well, it's 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 a little different uh, from what I do because I'm kind of like a sideline analyst. I'm talking about the game and the plays and and you know giving Bob and Carl uh, mm-hmm. you know, heads up of what I'm seeing on the sideline or, or how players reacting uh, to a last play and, and what's going on. Uh, I got into broadcasting because I do uh, a lot of auctions and, and a lot of public speaking and everything. And some agent saw me. Go, have you ever thought about doing broadcasting? I'm like. Uh, maybe. So he's like, well, let's, let's look at it. I think I had a chance to be on the best damn sports show. I think I turned it down or changed ages. I can't remember what happened with that. Uh, yes called me. So I was getting the job with yes right away. I had just done, um, I had just done what, what's, what's now get up with in, on the morning show. Uh, one of Stephen A. Smith's song. It used to be called cold pizza. Yep. And I was doing, I was doing that when it Wait, first started. Yeah. Yeah, so we 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 I got involved with it kind of that way, and it just kind of blossomed. Uh, we did the yes was in the beginning. It was like a live show that we did right after the second game ended. Uh, we we do a hit between you know Jets and Giants one and four o'clock game, and then we would do do the show right after the the second game ended, so we could talk about them. Yeah, and it's been it's been there's like been yeah, a lot of Giants great, kept, lot yeah, of great Giants broadcast. Kept, a lot of great programs yeah. there too, yeah. Yeah, so the Giants kept saying, we'd love for you to come and, you know, be a part of our program. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I was like, if something goes on with Yes, they're like, you wouldn't leave Yes to come here. And then all of a sudden, Yes dropped their football program. And I'm like, oh, Perfect. so I think I'm available. <laughs> so <laughs> in and have a look back. So I got to ask you, you're on the sideline there. How cold were you in 2007 at Lambeau Field? for that championship game. It was 27 below. Uh, we kept running out of batteries because the batteries were, were dying because it was so cold. It was using all the juice of the batteries up. Uh, it was, I had everything on that I could, that I could buy and then some. So it was, it was pretty, pretty interesting to say the least uh, at 27 below. Yeah, I mean, everyone looked freezing. Of course, Coach Coughlin, his face there. Uh, just another question yeah. about being on the sideline. How impressed are you with Paul Dottino's speed post game running to go hunt down an interview? I mean, he, he beats everybody out there. He's the, he's the ultimate Giants fan, and he and he is definitely uh, talking to the to the producers constantly, trying to say, well, who you want to talk to, who you want to talk to, and then he's like trying to get them to to get stats because he's keeping stats as he's going through the game, and he's trying to figure out which guys they want for the interview on the outside if we can get them right off the field. And the guys are really, you know, really cool. They they take the time to talk to them. So as Nick alluded to at the top, uh, you're a senior director for Cushman and Wakefield. So mm-hmm. where did the interest for that start? Uh, and was there any particular person who kind of guided you in, in that direction? No, not really. Like uh, when I first started, I was with uh, CBRE. I started there probably 2003 or 2005. I can't remember. It was more of... I got recruited. Uh, someone has said, "Like, hey, you should, you know, you should talk to Howard Cross. He'd be a great person for, for your business." And eventually, I sat in a room. A bunch of guys are talking to me. I'm listening to them. And it, the theory is, is that I know a lot of from all the charity events and stuff. I know a lot of CEOs and mm-hmm. CFOs and whatever. And we basically help uh, counsel them on their real estate needs for their their corporations. So I'm like, okay, I can try that. Worked in Jersey for like two and a half, three years, 
uh, wasn't, I didn't feel like I was getting the right coverage, so to speak, left and went into the city, um, got into the city, met a guy that was the CEO of a firm, wanted me to come work for him. I worked for him for about nine years, 10 years. And then finally I got over to Cushman and Wakefield where I actually work for the global chairman now. Very impressive. And another thing that's impressive is uh, you do great community service, uh, mostly working with the youth to keep them in school. Uh, so if you mm -hmm. want to talk about that briefly. Yeah, I, you know, growing up in the South where we always helped each other uh, do everything. You'd be cutting somebody's yard one day, helping somebody plant their garden the next day. Uh, it was always, we were always helping each other constantly. So, uh, and growing up in a, in a, in a, like a church, church kind of family neighborhood community where we're always in church doing something or donating or cleaning up or fixing something for somebody. It just comes naturally that you try to help wherever you can help. Uh, with kids in education, uh, I look at kids on, on the aspect of, you know, they have an endless opportunity to do anything in the world they want, but they don't always understand, you know, how to access some of the stuff. So you talk to them about what do you want to be when you grow up? Like I, I talked to especially athletes and they're like, well, you know, I'm going to play for the league. I'm going to do this. I'm like, you know, if you get an education from this school, you could probably buy a team. They're like, what? And mm -hmm. kids don't think of the world like that. So we, especially now kids, they make so much money. Uh, there are so many great opportunities for them. You know, they just need to, you know, go to school, try to figure out what they want to do. And school isn't, I always tell, I always tell kids, college is this thing where you have to learn exactly what you're going to do unless you're going to be a doctor or something. It's something where they want you to, you know, apply yourself, show that you can learn and comprehend things. And then all of a sudden you might get an opportunity to work for somebody. My daughter's is a perfect example. She's a communications major and she's working for Millennium, a hedge fund. Uh, and that's what she's doing an internship for. So I'm like, okay, that works. <laughs> she's like, I think so. I'm like, yeah. So you, you never know the opportunity you're going to get if you, when you're getting the education, I just know it's some, it's better for kids to, to think about it and stuff. And a lot of kids, unfortunately, especially inner city kids, they just don't think that way. Yeah, absolutely. And education is important. Now, your daughter, Bella, the honors college mm -hmm. at, at University of Alabama, which is just tremendous. And your son, Howard Cross III, goes to a tremendous school in Notre Dame. And with him, yeah, I'm just curious, were you, are you, were you more nervous when you were playing or more nervous watching him play at times? I think it was more, not so much nervous as you, you're just like when you have kids and stuff, you want them to do, do their very best all the time. So watching, watching them play a sport or something, it was always fun and exciting to watch them play. But you're like the whole time you're watching, you're like, I hope you're having fun. Yeah. I hope you're, you know, I hope you, you know, give it your best, but I hope you're having fun. And that's what you really want to, you know, impress upon your kids. I think especially high school and, 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 junior high and everything else is like are they having fun because this is supposed to be a distraction for them and not this full-time job like a lot of coaches would like for it to be so but but he had a great time he played hard he he really understood the game uh from from the from the aspect of where they were playing him at d-line and he just enjoyed doing it so i'm like you know maybe you want to play baseball nope you want to play this nope i want to play football okay go play football knock yourself out so how did, how did he end up being a defensive lineman? I would think he wanted to follow in your footsteps as tight end. Did he play tight end at all in high school? And they were both sides of the ball? No, he just, it, you know, uh, he played at St. Joe's in Montville. So they have a very robust program. And 
and there are very few players that get a chance to play both ways unless you're mostly they're like running backs and linebackers right. in some cases but everybody else they're they're there i don't think there are any receivers that play db it's like you you kind of get you a spot in and you fit in and it's almost like a small college program yeah absolutely great great school there for sure so for you in, in your career whether it's your playing career, your broadcasting career, or your, your current career, what for you would you say is your, you know, I'm right moment. What I mean by that is a time where you wanted to do something, you ask somebody for advice. They say, ah, I don't know, Howard, I don't think that's going to work out for you. And you say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately you will see why it is that I'm right. Well, in big corporations, you have a lot of people that, you know, we, you could know someone, but everyone and everyone that knows you was like, oh, I know that guy. So it's it's a lot of that that goes on. What I found that it, you know, from a corporate standpoint, uh, if you're not doing anything terribly questionable, I always say, but it's better to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. And I and I think that if if you have a good idea, something solid that you know you can do and get done, you have to be you know confident with it so, to the point where. Okay, I'm gonna get it done. And then they'll say, Oh, why don't you tell somebody? So I tried to tell you, but you told me no. And then you, you can get through it. It's like uh, I played golf with a with a young kid the other day that he was a caddy. He's going through, and I know he doesn't know, you know, what he's doing. I know he doesn't know mm-hmm. anything about it. He's just out there to get his money and to carry the clubs. I'm like, and he's giving reads for putts. And I said, This is a very important lesson for you. He goes, What's that? No matter what it is you're about to say, say it with total confidence so that we will believe that you know what you're talking about. I'm like, he goes, but what if I'm wrong? doesn't matter if you're wrong, just say it with confidence. And the kid's like, okay, so the rest of the day, he goes, this is where it's going to go. And he talk about it and like, oh, and then we, you know, we weren't really listening to him, but he sounded so much better and he had so much more confidence. It's like, hey, he goes, I should caddy for you guys all the time. I'm like, yeah, okay. Listen, if you say it with conviction, you'll be right. And Howard, this was yeah. the perfect podcast for that. One of the best answers to this question, I think, since Nick started asking it. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Howard, uh, we thank you again with your time. Really, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a Jets fan, but, you know, Nick's the Giants fan between the two of us. So we wish best of luck to the Giants, and we wish the best of luck to you uh, in your career, everything this upcoming season. Uh, we'll stay in touch. And what we do here is we always give our guests the last word. So uh, if there's anything else you would like to share or promote, you know, Nick and I know you're heavily involved in, in all types of charity work. So, uh, so thanks again for doing this with this with us. And if you have anything else to say, you know, feel free. I mean, if, if you guys get a chance, you know, always try to help uh, when you can. I, I always say like anybody that helps, it, it helps them too. Uh, one, of the, one of the things we've been working on on the last couple of years is like Autism New Jersey. Uh, it's like something that people don't really think about, but these kids are growing up and becoming adults with autism. So, you know, I I just tell people like, that's one of the charities that if you want to get involved with, get involved with it because these parents, they get older and their kids keep growing up. The kids aren't sick. They're just, just, you know, out of place, out of time sometimes. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Howard, we thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And that's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right for our very special guest, Howard Cross, my coach, Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right.